Welcome to The Savvy Innovators, presented by BMC Software. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will help guide you to look at innovation in your business as an effective means to a more impactful digital future. Find out how innovative technology can make a difference for your enterprise. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you to the gentleman announcer. This is a wonderful day in live radio. We are coming to you live on the Voice America Business Channel and live on my LinkedIn page. I'm Bonnie D, they call me. This is a brand new series. It's been months in the works. So much great information wonderful experts coming to you and it's called as the gentleman said the savvy innovators presented by bmc let me get started if you're a fan if you're a follower of my radio shows you know that i always start out with what's called a buzz quote and the buzz quote is some research i've done on the topic i'll just give you a clue our topic today is driving business results with digital transformation. Now, this is a hot topic for every business around the world. Am I right, Bill and Sir? Yeah, I haven't introduced you yet, but you cannot. Every business <laughs> needs to be concerned. You want results. We're coming through a very difficult two and a half year tunnel. We're still in it a little bit. Digital transformation is still should be top of mind for the whole C-suite. So let me give you four buzz quotes from my research and let's see where we go with this. So buzz number one, digital transformation. While this isn't a one app solution, it's a must have. I'm underscoring that. I'm putting a, an air underscore there. Organizations and governments around the world have a digital transformation imperative like never before. And this comes from Mark Benoff, the founder, chair, and CEO of Salesforce. And he knows what he's talking about. Then I have a quote, buzz quote number two from Saul Berman, chief strategist, VP and global digital business strategy practice leader. That's a long title, Bill. I don't know if it fits on his card at IBM Global Business Services. And he says, we think it's really a new era requiring new strategies. I think we can agree on that. Then I have a quote from Tim O'Reilly, founder of O'Reilly Media, and he says, every industry and every organization will have to transform itself in the next few years. What's coming at us is bigger than the original internet, and we all know how big that is, and you need to understand it, get on board with it, and figure out how to transform your business. There's that word again, transform. And one more quote before I get into the meat and potatoes of our topic. This is from George Westerman, who's a senior lecturer at the MIT Sloan School of Management. Listen, digital transformation requires changes to processes and thinking, changes that span your internal organization silos. I think we hit all the hot spots here, so let me tell you. The past few years have changed all of our priorities, all of us personally, socially, community-wise, culturally, and business is no exception. To successfully navigate its ongoing disruption, it's not just happening yesterday or tomorrow in 10 minutes, it's ongoing, it's here. And drive business growth, organizations in every industry are optimizing their existing technology while investing in innovation capabilities, you gotta keep moving forward, improving employees' work experiences. Why you have to attract and retain talent? There's still a talent war from what I understand. People are deciding to do their own thing. You want the best working with you. Expanding data and analytics capabilities to inform better decision making, that's always a goal. And demonstrating a commitment to, here's the big one, ESG, Environmental, Social and Governance Initiatives to improve performance and reduce operational risks. Big question for our listeners and viewers around the world today, what steps is your business taking? to stay ahead of the curve. I have two very special guests for this exciting debut episode of our new series. Bill Corrigan, wave hello for the viewing audience. Bill is the VP of Technology Strategy and Advocacy at BMC. I understand it used to be BMC Software. 
And right now it's BMC. So welcome, Bill Corrigan. Nice to see you. And we have Surya Panditi, who is the former CEO, hi, of NLENELX North America. And I'm going to ask them for their take on the key tenets of strategic, effective, and lasting digital transformation. Our topic today, again, is driving business results with digital transformation. Bonnie D in the house. I'm actually very honored to be here and to be producing and hosting this new series from BMC. Let's go around the table. It's a small table today, but we like an intimate table for a new series. So let's get started. Bill Corrigan, welcome. It's wonderful to have you here. So honored that you're joining me for the debut of BMC's new show. Would you please take about three minutes, Bill, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background, a little bit about BMC as well. And Bill, what's your passion for our topic today? Digital Transformation and Business Growth. Bill, welcome. Great. Thanks, Bonnie. It's uh, really exciting to be here. And this is a topic I could literally talk about all weekend. Um, and I often do, boring my wife and others. Um, but, but really, uh, it's, it's, I'm excited to be here. I'm part of the CTO office at, at BMC. And as such, we look at sort of the five to 10-year future for both BMC and what our the needs of our customers are. So we're constantly, constantly looking out. Uh, I recently joined BMC about six months ago. Prior to that, um, I was at McKinsey uh, as a digital consultant where we, I spent the past four years taking our clients through these uh, journeys to do digital transformation. And, and what's amazing is that uh, you know it, it really does affect every single industry and every single aspect of a company. It's no longer just the IT department that has to think about digital transformation. It's every member of the C-suite as well as the next level down. So that's why I think it's, um, it's an exciting topic because it's so pervasive. It's so important. And if you don't get it right, you really can screw up not only um, your digital assets, but your entire company. Um, so, so that's part of the reason why I'm excited to be here. Uh, just a little bit about me. I mentioned I was at McKinsey. Prior to that, I spent 20 years in the technology business, uh, both at startups as well as at Microsoft uh, for several years running product groups. A um, little bit about BMC. BMC is an enterprise uh, software company that has been around for about 40 years. We have about 6,000 employees across uh, the globe. And our portfolio serves the needs of about 90% of the Fortune 50. Uh, so we really, uh, you know, we really talk to some of the biggest names of business uh, and help them solve their business problems. Um, today, we've really evolved to become more of a solution provider than just a point, you know, point solution. And so oftentimes uh, our customers are coming to us to, with broader problems than just IT management or IT asset management. They're asking us for advice of how they deal with things like ESG or the future of work. Uh, and so we've become much more consultative both in our sales model as well as people like myself that have come on board really just to talk about higher level issues and how technology can help solve those. Thank you, Bill. Pleasure to have you. And uh, I had forgotten that you've only been with BMC six months. How appropriate for you to be part of the debut team on this show to be talking about your excitement being with the company and all of the top of mind issues. And during the, the conversation with you and Surya later, I think we want to explore whether what we're talking about today is in fact, is it breaking news? Is it top of mind? Is it back burner? We'll get to it. Yeah, yes, gee, yeah, okay. Yeah, employee experience. Yeah, I know, we'll do it later. Uh, so the question I always like to ask on these shows is, is this something that is already 
keeping CEO C-suite awake at night, or is it just something that they're aware of, but they're busy doing other things? So let's talk about awareness later, but thank you so much for your introduction, Bill Surya Panditi. Delighted to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get to know you. I'm putting you on speaker view as I did for Bill. So please introduce yourself. Welcome. Well, thank you, Bonnie. And uh, once, uh, once again, uh, it's really an honor to be on this show. Thank you to BMC for inviting me. A bit about me, uh, as you pointed out, I was most recently the uh, North America CEO of NLX. And uh, prior to that, I've uh, done, like Bill, both uh, startups as well as work for large companies. So I, um, many years ago, was a CEO of a company that was um, in the telecom business that I took public. And then I've also been at um, Cisco running a multi-billion dollar business unit. So, you know, the three things that uh, I believe I can bring here to this discussion, and just from watching and observing and learning, not because of any intrinsic capability, but because um, I've had the fortune of um, working, as I said, both with small companies, tiny, tiny startups with a few handful of people, all the way to uh, companies with um, 60, 70, 80,000 employees. Um, I've also been in very core tech, so enterprise software, telecom, data networking, but also in the energy business, in the clean technology business. So I'm hoping to give a different perspective than perhaps what many of us who have grown up in Silicon Valley think about. So uh, that's the second thing. And the third thing is I've done different roles. So um, I've, um, uh, again, most recently been a, a regional CEO, but I've also been a salesman. I've been in the product management uh, run uh, various kinds of product development teams. And so uh, the, the unique observation is innovation exists and can exist in, in any function, not almost, but any single function. And today I'm hoping we can touch on some of those that may not seem obvious when you first think about where innovation and digital transformation may occur, both in terms of function or organization as well as in terms of which industries are impacted. So again, I'm hoping to bring a different perspective, but um, looking forward again very much to this discussion. And thank you again for inviting me. Thank you, sir. Yeah, interesting. We do like different takes on a topic. We're looking for a thought leadership, and that's why you and Bill are here, because you come from, Bill, very different background from Surya. Bill, look up. I want to see you. There you are. <laughs> I'm going to read your quote next. You don't have to find it. Anyway, uh, we're, we're looking for differences of opinion. And when we get to the roundtable, I will read a statement from Bill and he will expand it, unpack it. And then, Surya, I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree. And this is where we'll see that different perspective, I hope. And then I'll pick a statement from what you sent me, Surya, and I'll ask Bill to agree or disagree. So let's see where we go. We want to give our listeners and our viewers a broad view of opportunities and options for how they approach this very important topic. All said, we are covering a lot of ground today. So let's get started. If you're new to watching my shows, you will not know what I'm going to do next. I've asked my guests, Bill and Surya, to send me a quote from a fictional character in a movie or TV show or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And I'm going to ask them, I'll read the quote with a little bit of background, a little fun trivia, pop culture, and I'll ask them to relate it to the topic in their own words. And this is another way of basically backing into a serious business topic with a little bit of fun. We're allowed to have fun here. That's what I was told I was allowed to have fun on the show. So let's go. Bill Corrigan has sent a quote from uh, Neo. 
the scene is, well, I'll tell you a scene in a second. The movie is The Matrix Reloaded, 2003 American sci-fi action film. Bill and Nassani like, yeah, I really like that movie. Uh, Neo is played by Keanu Reeves, of course, and the film is written and directed by the Wachowskis. Six months after the events of The Matrix, Neo and Trinity are romantically involved. I'm just going to stop there. Here is the line. We control these machines. They don't control us. That was the quote from Neo. So go ahead, Bill. What does this have to do with our topic today? Go ahead. <laughs> um, I think it has multiple assets or facets to it. Uh, one is just uh, the concept of machines. Uh, I think there's a lot of misconception about the way uh, robots uh, will both augment and help uh, work. It's what we see quite often is, is the concept of cobots, where they're collaborative robots that are helping a human do their job better, not replacing a human per se. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. Another is, uh, the second facet is around the concept of ethical AI. So there's a lot of um, AI that can be done and a lot of machine learning and, and thing in the areas of things like um, uh, augmented reality and computer vision and using cameras for identification and, and whatnot. Um, and there's a, you know, a huge topic that we discuss quite, quite often inside of BMC around ethical AI and how do we help our customers uh, deal with you know, th that challenge because it's, it's not going to be just an unfettered world or at least it shouldn't be. And governments are starting to think about this, but as we know, governments are often way behind when it comes to things like regulation. So, um, uh, you know, I think most uh, most corporations will want to have ethical AI pro pro practices, and therefore they'll have to start to think about that. And I, I sort of think there's just a lot of um, misconceptions in, in the world about um, IoT and how the future can work. Um, also, uh, when we talk about the future of work later on in this podcast, we will talk about, um, you know, oftentimes people are thinking about the office worker per se, um, and it's not just the office worker, it's the, it's the factory worker, the warehouse, the transport and so forth that are affected. Thank you. And I have to read the follow-up quote in that same scene, Bill, from Matrix Reloaded. It was a line stated by Counselor Hammond, H-A-M-A-N-N, -N, played by Anthony Zerby. And the line from Neo was, we control these machines, they don't control us. And the follow-up line is, of course not. How could they? The idea is pure nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I should have read that first, but I wanted to get your quote in there first. I thought that was very, very interesting. Thank you. Ethical AI. We're talking about digital transformation, driving results. There's so much to grasp. It's a huge topic, as I said before. Thank you so much. And let's go down to Sirius quote. You have sent us a quote from Pauly, played by Eric Roberts. I have to say he's Julia Roberts' brother. The movie is The Pope of Greenwich Village, 1984. We're going back in time here. How many years? 30 something. 1984, American crime black comedy film. And here is the quote. You really have to help me out with this one, Surya, because this is a doozy. The quote is, I never ordered a brandy in my life that wasn't Cordon Bleu. I took 200 from a lone shark pop to see Sinatra at the garden, sat two seats away from Tony Bennett. That's success. Boy, talk about a pop culture quote. Talk to me. <laughs> Surya, yeah, how'd you find this one and what in the world does it have to do with our topic? Go ahead. You know, I actually happened to see this movie many years ago and it stuck with me because, you know, it's interesting, Bonnie, we ourselves 
don't always define success in the right way. So here's this guy, flashy, flamboyant, and he wants to see Sinatra. And that's the fact that he was able to borrow money to be able to see Frank Sinatra was a definition of success for him. And if I look at my own career, I've had the opportunity to observe what sometimes people think of as success. All of us, and all of us are perhaps guilty of this at one time or the other. An example, doing a press release and having a fantastic press release go out and we say, yep, patting ourselves on the back, that was a great press release. I remember once going to a, let's call it an industry conference or convention, a trade show. And the company I was working for had lots of meetings. And at the end of the show, we all sat around and the top executive was congratulating everyone on what a great trade show we had. And the fact is getting a press release or having a great trade show are important, but they're not the definition of success. Success is really about how you measure, whether it's in terms of customer satisfaction, whether it's in terms of more efficiency, getting a cleaner product or environment uh, because of the work that you're doing, obviously business financial success. So I think it's important that, that we measure ourselves in that kind of longer term vision of what success is. And today we're talking about digital transformation and the outcomes. So I thought it was quite relevant to the fact that we're talking about outcomes today, not necessarily activities. And it's important again for us to differentiate between activities and outcomes, I believe. Thank you. Very, very interesting. It's sometimes it's those shades of meaning, isn't it, Surya, that set people, set the mind thinking, yeah, you, you know, there was a change in um, the style of resumes or CVs years ago when I was working in corporate jobs. And they said, don't tell people what your role was, what you were responsible for. Translate it into bottom line outcome. What did you do for the company? Did you save them a million? or 50 bucks? Did you help them streamline a department? Was your role ahead of the department? But what did you, what was the result of your doing your job well? So we, I just thought of this, we, we went into outcome-based role success when you were applying for another job. Does this sound familiar to both of you? Remember this must've been 10 or 15 years ago, they said, and even on your LinkedIn profile, I've been told, don't just say, I do this, I do that. It's I've done this for X number of companies or clients, and these were the results. So we have been thinking about outcome. Thank you, Surya. That was a, a very interesting shade of meaning, and I appreciate that. Great quotes, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Now we're getting to the really serious part of the show where Bill and Surya have each sent me six statements on what's important to them on this topic. I'm going to dealer's choice. I'm going to pick a topic from each first one from Bill, and I've already put it in the chat for Bill. I'm going to read it. Bill's going to expand it, or like we say, Bill, unpack it for about three minutes, and then I'm going to ask Surya to agree or disagree. Now, there's a lot in the statement, Surya, so I want you to sit on the edge of your chair. I know we rehearsed that. Get to the edge of your seat. Got to pay attention here. I know you are. So let me read this, and then I'll pick one from Surya, and I'll put it in the chat for you, and then Bill will respond. So Bill Corrigan says, BMC Research identified six transformative trends that are shaping digital transformation in every industry. And that's important, Bill, because our audience is business listeners all over the world, and we don't know exactly who they are. So they probably cover every industry. Here are the six trends. The future of work, economic growth shifts, supply chain resilience, oh yes, ever-increasing cybersecurity, 
always important. Unlocking the value of data and socially responsible organizations. I'm going to say, wow, these are certainly top, 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 top of mind. Bill Corrigan, I'm putting you on speaker view. Talk to us. What do you want to rank these in terms of most important or what would you like to talk about? Three minutes. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So let me just explain sort of the impetus for why we, we did this was um, we, we started to update our autonomous digital enterprise framework um, at the beginning of the year. And we spent several months looking at it. And that contains some core technology tenets like data-driven business, automation everywhere. And what I said, you know, coming from my background of, of working with C-suites, I, I, I said, let's take a look at what's causing these technology transformations and, and sort of what are the root causes. And we, and we took a look back from a CEO or a C-suite perspective, are what are the big challenges that they're facing at the business level that can be help, you know, help be solved with technology? Uh, and really there were probably 15 to 20, we narrowed it down to these six, um, you know, and these are the big ones that everyone is kind of grappling with. It's whether it's like, you know, and, and for each individual um, enterprise or depending on their industry, one might be more important than others. Um, and so it's, it's not just a peanut butter approach that every single one is equally important. It might be very different for your organization. So it might be, you know, if you're a, if you're an organization that relies heavily on, on your employees, and that's your entire product, let's say you're a research firm, well, employee retention becomes very, very important. So the future of work becomes important. And, and so, um, you know, ESG, if you're, if you're a company in Europe right now, especially in uh, an energy sector or uh, manufacturing, the, the concept of sustainability and, and being able to report that is super important for you right now. And so um, whether you want to be tra transform your business with technology or not, it's going to be forced upon you. And, and that's what is keeping the C-suite up at night, uh, many of these different issues that are then driving the technology transformation. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Thank you for telling us about the source of those. Surya, yeah, what do you think? Agree or disagree? Go ahead. I, let's just back up a little bit and think about how business leaders were measured maybe 20, 30 years ago. And in many cases, it was really around revenue, profitability, market share. Those are important metrics, of course. But if you look at the last few years, coming back to what Bill said, the business leaders of today across all industries, frankly, are being measured on a broader set of objectives, meeting a broader set of objectives for all of their stakeholders. And when I say all of their stakeholders, I, I mean, of course, shareholders. That's obviously your primary responsibilities to them, but it's also to the communities you serve in. It is to your employees. And to your point earlier, employees have become a bigger part of the equation in your own company's success. You cannot treat them as somehow replaceable cogs in the wheel anymore and really think of them as part of the team that's going to bring you forward. And then, of course, you have other stakeholders. Customers are an important part. Suppliers are an important part. All of these stakeholders are now asking for something more whether it's around your environmental footprint, whether it's around how you treat your employees and how you respect the communities you work in, whether you're serving underprivileged communities. And so there's a broader set of metrics that I believe have become an important part of the six 
elements that Bill was talking about. And I'm hoping we can get into some specifics as we have this discussion around some of my own observations, again, seeing what I've seen in different industries that may not be obvious when you think about, again, many of us who've grown up in the uh, tech business. Thank you very much. I'm going to put a statement in the chat for you next, but Bill, I'd like you to respond to Surya. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, 100%. Um, uh, it, it's it's uh, it's the importance uh, across um, all aspects of the of the organization and things like innovation uh, doesn't happen just within technology anymore. There there are things like innovative business models that people mm -hmm. are are introducing that to help address some of these challenges. And so, a good point by by Surya. Thank you very much. Speaking of a good point by Syria. Syria, I'm looking at statement number two. Let's use an example. I think that's what you wanted to do. We're going to talk about the energy industry now. Surya says, transformation for the in energy industry is built on what we have today. There are certainly examples of organizations holding on to their old technologies, and there is also room to grow and optimize core concepts and core portfolios and build on those. Here's the caveat. It doesn't have to all be net new innovations. Let's start with that. We'll see what you have to say, and then we'll get Bill to agree or disagree. Sir, yeah, go ahead. Well, thank you. You know, I had the good fortune of working for um, NLX and NL more broadly, which is the parent company. And I just was so impressed with a company that came from a very traditional utility background and the ability of the leadership team to look beyond the next curve and make the necessary investments around clean technology. They have now become, I believe, the largest renewables company in the world. Uh, I don't know if people know, but it's a very, very large company based out of Italy. Um, and so I started to ponder, what does it take to look at this kind of existing, very significant business and say, I'm going to make some bets that are somehow different from what I'm doing today and bet on the future that is still not deterministic. But they made those, those bets and um, it was in many cases was the right kind of bets that have paid off. As an example, they were the first company to issue ESG linked bonds. Now they've become quite the rage, but at the time they were the very first, both in the US and in um, Europe. But as a specific example of the last point about they don't have to be net new innovations. So it turns out when you're looking at building, let's say, renewable energy utility scale plants, there is the actual generation that you have to build, but then you have to connect it to transmission systems and then distribution systems so you can take it from the generation to where those, that, those electrons are being consumed. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that if you look at the long pole in the tent, very often it is that interconnection getting to building the substations, building the transmission, building the distribution that tends to be both challenging from a environmental regulatory perspective as well as from a financial perspective. So they came up with the idea that they should transform existing generation plants, which are based on fossil fuels and replace them with the new renewables. And so it's a very innovative way of coming up with breaking that long pole in the tent problem with taking advantage about, while at the same time del delivering on the promise of going into more clean technologies. So I thought that was a very impressive um, example from at least from what I observed and I'm sure others are doing it as well, uh, others in the energy business. 
but I just wanted to give that as one example of how you can look at innovation in a, in a very traditional business and come up and, and say, wow, you know, I, I hadn't thought of that, but that's, that's pretty cool. Thank you, sir. I'm glad you picked a particular industry as, a, as an example, a use case or a case study, because it's relatable. People, everybody knows something about the energy industry because that power is what we do. But the idea of the net new versus the using what you've got, very, very interesting. Bill Corrigan, what do you have to say? Agree or disagree? This will be interesting. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously, it, whenever, wherever you can reuse um, uh, technology or existing investments, it's better than having to reinvent the wheel. And I think um, I'll give you an example of one recently uh, that I came across. It was a, a large um, military organization. And when we think of the military, we think of oftentimes the, you know, the, the warfare aspect of it. But it's also each, each base is like its own city. Um, and so I worked with this particular um, base that in, in smart city type of technologies. So how could we make the supply chain better? How can we uh, make the warehouse better? And so they had existing systems in place, but the systems were all stovepiped. None of them knew about each other. They weren't coordinated. Um, you know, a tiny bit of technology addition in the form of uh, some, some data normalization and, and data integration um, was able to save this particular military base about $8 million a year uh, while providing much better service for, uh, you know, what they consider their customers, which are the people working on the flight line, mm -hmm. the people who live on base, the, the, the relatives of the people who live on base, the contractors that come on base. So, you know, it was, you know, a very small investment in the, you know, this is a, this is a base that has over a billion dollar a year budget. So, you know, a few million dollars in, in data uh, in, uh, is saving them now seven or eight million dollars a year. Uh, so it paid for itself in a few months. I love that example. And I'll tell you why. Yes. You know, again, all of us who live in technology are sometimes so inclined to get wrapped up in the technology. And what Bill pointed out, I thought was was extremely useful for us to use and reflect on every time we think about any project. Saving money, great, mm -hmm. but more importantly, how did that help the customer experience? Whoever your customers might be, internal, external, yes. whatever it might be, are they better off because of what you did? And then third, of course, is, is it better for efficiency? Uh, and efficiency very often transforms into, or translates into what's better for uh, the communities, better for the environment, better for how we work. And so I love that example. Thank you, Bill. Yes, and you both gave examples, which is very important for our listeners and viewers to be able to grab, as I used the word before, relatable, something they could say, yeah, I know. Interesting point, Bill, I think you brought it up, is who is your customer? If you're an internal support team, a service team, a, a team that doesn't have external, somebody is your customer. Somebody should be benefiting from what you do. So it's important that we define who our customers are, even if it's not somebody who's paying you to do something, who's part of another team. Bill, you used a word I'm not familiar with. You talked about stovepiped. I sense that that means siloed. Am I right on that? Right. What's the allusion to the stovepipe? Just I, I've never seen that word. It's very picturesque. Sir, so is laughing at me. I've, I've never heard that word before. What, where does it come from? I think it literally comes from a, a, a pipe that, you know, like a, a pipe that would go up through a house and the, the fumes go out through it. And it's, it's, in, it's it's an own enclosed little space. It's not 
externalized at all. New word for siloed. Thank you. I have to use that on some of my shows. People say, what is she talking about? Thank you. Uh, so yeah, thank you very much for your example and, and Bill for adding on to that. Great. Let's move on. I think we need to, I want to talk a little more about ESG. I mentioned it in the opening. We've dropped the term a little bit. I'm looking at Bill's statement number three. I'm going to read it. It's very long. I'm just going to read a little bit, two sentences. Bill, I'll let you finish unpacking it. And then let's see after you tell us what it really means. We'll see what sir you have to say. So let's keep this going. Bill says the next several years are going to see a dramatic growth of environment, social and governance programs and investments. That's ESG for those who have been living under a rock for the past few years, as well as companies to address them. These propositions are not simply moral challenges. Ah, but they lead to better performance and reduced risk. I think you just put a new a new layer of achievability or of goal setting there not just moral, but reduced risk and better performance. Bill, talk to us. Sure, yeah. So when it was purely just a moralistic kind of thing, uh, there's been a lot of hand-waving over the past few years of, um, yeah, we're going to do this in ESG or we're going to do this around diversity. Um, but now we actually have the data tools to be able to measure these kinds of things. And so um, when you think about ESG, it's, it's really a conglomeration of several different uh, initiatives that have been kind of lumped into one. It, it almost doesn't do them justice to, to, to sort of lump them into one. So we, we unpack it usually when we start having conversations. You know, really there's sort of four distinct trends. One is sustainability. The second is that socially conscious decision maker. The third is um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the fourth is the convergence and standardization um, in reporting uh, uh, across these other three. And so, um, you know, obviously the first one, sustainability, is probably the easiest one to attack from a technology perspective. Uh, measuring your carbon footprint, me measuring the amount of carbon that your cloud, for instance, uh, uh, is taking. You know, AWS, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud Platform, all of the major cloud platforms will actually report back to you now and tell you how much you're, you're using and utilizing, which is really great. Um, we also see a real opportunity in the data center to, to reduce carbon footprint as well as energy usage. Uh, so um, directly affecting your costs and reducing your costs. Um, in, in the area of, of, of diversity and equity, you know, there's been a lot of studies that have been done lately. And, and a couple of stats that I think are interesting is um, Ernst & Young recently did a research report where they said that um, organizations that are rated highly on their DEI scale have a 57% greater team collaboration. Uh, they have a 19% greater retention of employees, and they have a 70% chance more likely to have success in a new market than an organization that is not rated highly in DEI. So, um, you know, that's, that's one aspect of it. You know, the concept, concept of the convergence of reporting and standardization is, is starting to really emerge. Um, and whether it's being self-actualized um, within the company or being forced upon you by a government agency, uh, th these things are real and they need to, you know, IT can be a leader here uh, and not a laggard. Interesting. Is change management involved in, in I'll just say, culturalizing or, or destigmatizing this whole concept, Bill, if you said IT could be part of it. What? Us? We're IT. What do we have to do with that? Just just briefly before I get Surya to comment, Bill, anything about, do you have to 
have to build it up so the company understands what it is, what it means, just quickly, and then Sir, you'll get your response. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and I mean, this kind of goes across the board for all digital transformation. Uh, that you know, many of the things that I saw at McKinsey, it wasn't a technology hurdle. It was always a cultural or hey, this is not the way we've done things in the past. Or you know, so I think a lot of it is transparency, showing showing the people why it's important. Um, and we actually have ways to measure that now, where we didn't perhaps even five years ago. Thank you very much. So yeah, let's get your take. Agree or disagree with anything Bill said and a little bit of what I said. Go this ahead. Is a, this is a, uh, a really interesting topic. So if you look back maybe, let's say five years ago, ESG was still, maybe six years, ESG was still being talked about with the more leading companies and executives. I mentioned what NL did in terms of the um, SDG link bonds, for example, which was truly a, a game changer, I believe, a very le leading edge. But a few years ago, all of this came into very high focus when Larry Fink of BlackRock put out a shareholder letter and talked about how companies need to be measured on these other dimensions. And I believe that sharply brought into focus across all industries, especially the larger public companies, that it mattered. It mattered to all stakeholders. And I agree, it's not just about saying I'm doing this for the, it's of course you're doing it because you want to be good citizens, but also because of the, all of the stakeholders that are involved. And you know, I um, was amazed to see C-suite executives that I was dealing with in my last role, talking about scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. I would never imagine those kind of terminologies would be at their boardroom discussions. And yet that started to happen. The other one, um, uh, my previous company, NLX, was a small investor in a company called Respire. And uh, Susan Hunt Stevens, who's the CEO of the company, was telling me that in the last few years, she's seen such an uptick. It's an engagement, employee engagement platform for ESG, you know, companies, sorry, employees who are interested in their contribution and their company's contributions towards ESG targets. And she was telling me how much the engagement has increased in the last few years. So I think these are just examples of the reality. Employees care about it, customers, supply chain, and again, to Bill's point, it's not just your immediate supply chain, but it's also down the entire supply chain that are starting to get measured on various forms of their commitments and then execution and measurement. And measurement is important because you can say all everything you want and give it lip service, but at the end, it's, I believe people are being held accountable, companies are being held accountable for what they're actually doing, which is a marked difference to the kind of greenwashing that was happening maybe a few years ago. And can you define greenwashing? I see it being used a lot in, in the press. I, I get uh, all kinds of statements from guests on my other radio shows talking about not just greenwashing. What exactly is that, sir? Yeah. Well, I think broadly speaking, it's a concept where you take some steps and I don't want to go into too much detail on the specifics or the, the, the technology, but you take steps to be able to claim that you're doing something that's better for the environment, while in fact, your actual activities and operations are not reflective of those. And so that really is the greenwashing. And I, I believe that, you know, in, to give to, you know, give them their credit, at least they started to 
try to do something about Think it. About it. Yeah. That's a good place to start, yep. but then you have to go make it more and more operational. And Bill gave some examples that I believe are very much, um, without divulging anything confidential, I think they're very much in the top of mind of many of the C-suite execs I met at um, companies that, like the ones Bill was talking about. So the question is, what have you really done for me lately? <laughs> Bill, this was your topic. Surya, I put a statement in, in the chat for you. Bill, you want to comment back to Surya? Really good conversation. What do you think? Yeah, so Surya brought up uh, something about supply chain, which I thought was interesting. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Microsoft uh, is a company that is really leading the charge uh, in reducing their carbon footprint. Um, they are uh, targeted to be carbon negative by 2030. Um, and then remove their entire historical carbon footprint by 2050. And this ties, this is, is actually includes their supply chain, which is much greater than their own consumption um, when you think about everything that goes into the computers and the, and the, um, the software that uh, drives Microsoft uh, and their data centers and, and whatnot. Uh, they actually have a tool called the Microsoft Sustainability Calculator that's available um, that companies can use to, to sort of start to measure things. And I mean, there's lots of those types of tools, but that, that's a very comprehensive one that I know Microsoft is using internally that I think is, um, is really good. Thank you very much. Very interesting roundtable part of our conversation. Let's move on. Four letter word starts with D, data, 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 data. We're <laughs> gonna dive into this now. Surya, I'm looking at your statement number six. Let me read a little bit. We talk about data and data analytics a lot in tech, but something not many organizations are doing is measuring analytics and insights from your people. Happy employees stay at your company. How do you measure if they're happy? Uh, wasn't there um, Zappos? Don't they have a chief happiness officer? And uh, I, I think they were they were wrote a book about the happy happy employees, something like that. Forgive me for not having the details. Surya, take it away. Tell us about employee happiness and. What, are the, what analytics do you use and what data do you trust? Is there a single point of truth here? You know, maybe I should start by talking about my observations in my last role. Sure. And if there is one, well, two words, but they're hyphenated um, to describe what brought in many of our employees to the office or, or working remotely as we did over the pandemic time was mission driven. They were... I will tell you the fact that they were working on clean technology meant more to them than necessarily getting the next bonus or raise. Not that those were not important. I don't want to minimize that, but if I, we could have given them more and if we were in a different kind of, if we had a negative impact on the environment, they would walk out the door. And so um, I'd say happy is, is maybe a more, it's, it's not as descriptive as engaged. I would say engaged is, is probably the most important employee, employee characteristic you can have. And an engaged employee will, will be self-motivated, will come up with new and creative solutions that you didn't think of yourself, and will somehow operationalize it. I'll give an example. There was a hackathon that actually I didn't ask for. It was done at the creative uh, initiative of one of our young um, leaders. And she decided that um, it was time for us to, this was in Boston, my office was in Boston, and she and another colleague put together a hackathon. And of the many projects, I think there were about 20 that made it through the list, which was pretty good. And then they ranked it, they had a competition, it was, it was a lot of fun. 
But what I found interesting was while many of them were around how to improve a product or service that the company was offering, there were at least a handful that had nothing to do with the actual business that we were in. And I'll give you just one example. My office was in the Seaport District in Boston. Mm -hmm. Nice place, lots of high-rise apartments, lots of high-rise office buildings, condos, but also tons of restaurants. And this team brought up the point that all of us were ordering so much takeout from these restaurants that we were generating a bunch of trash. And to them, the trash was not acceptable. So they came up with an idea that we should reduce the amount of trash while we are loving the convenience of ordering on an app, walking over to the next door sweet greens and picking up a nice healthy salad with some protein. But the trash was not acceptable. So they actually came up with a set of objectives, I'm sorry, a set of steps that we would take in order to reduce the trash, increase reusable containers, have compostable forks and spoons and knives. They went around to many of the restaurants in the neighborhood and convinced them to reduce their trash footprint. So I was just amazed at this mission-driven team that um, I was, you know, just impressed me. That's an example of engaged employees. So yeah, that's also to me an example of a company that encourages creative thinking, encourages innovation, encourages thinking outside the box. If you've got people, Bill, if you've got people stovepiped in their role, right? Where okay, you were hired to do this. Don't you dare think about that because that belongs to somebody else. That's that's a different stovepipe in the company. That's not your job. What are you doing? But when you let people think. And you listen, so you, somebody listened to them and it made sense to other people to buy into this. That's a, I'm gonna say that's a beautiful example of let's enjoy our takeout, but not increase the, the, the trash and the negativity about what's going back or not going back into the earth the right way or the wrong way. Bill, talk to us. Employee happiness, trash, takeout food, lunches, Boston, anything. Go ahead. <laughs> well, since I'm here in Boston as well, I could always talk about that. But uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, the, the concept of employee, uh, employee happiness uh, or, you know, the, it, it's under the, uh, the higher level heading of the future of work for us. Um, you, you know, uh, people talk about explore employee experience. Um, and so that's kind of a buzzword right now, but it really does matter. If you look at, um, you know, organizations that actually invest in, in the employee experience and in the, the example that Soria gave is making sure that employees, um, their cultural and their passions uh, are met, their cultural needs and passions are met in, in the work for, in the workplace. Um, a couple of statistics I thought were interesting. Uh, uh, Jacob Morgan, who's a very famous author and blogger on this on this topic, said that um, organizations that Im- invest in employee experience, whether it's programs or whether it's the types of work environment that they're working on or or the, the processes by which they're measured, are 11 and a half times as often included in Glassdoor's best places to work. They're 4.2 times average profit advantage within their categories compared to their peers. So that concept of employee experience and, and, and keeping employees motivated is super important. Uh, it kind of falls back to, um, you know, sort of 
four key themes that, that we see in the future, future of work, which is employee experience. The second is talent mobility, which is, you know, um, obviously has taken on a whole new uh, realm since the pandemic. And we're rethinking, my, my wife is a surgeon. She now can work one or two days a week remotely, which she never could do before. Um, the, the concept of automation in the workplace and automation both at the manufacturing level as well as um, automating tasks, manual tasks uh, for, say, a pricing analyst that sits at a desk all day using things like RPAs. And then the last as aspect of it that we see and we talk about quite a bit is the generational shift. So um, if you look at uh, Gen Z and uh, the millennials, um, there's a concept or a term called born digital that I like at the field work by Citrix has created this term. And that's just basically those two, um, two uh, groups of, of individuals. Um, what they found in a study, recent study was that there's almost a one-for-one -one increase in EBITDA based upon the amount of uh, the 1% change in access to that um, born digital talent. So if you can attract and retain those younger people, you are more likely to have a higher EBITDA than others in your category. I thought that was a really interesting statistics. And, you know, we see it too. It's just everybody's in a crunch for finding talent. And, and so you have to rethink the way you attract people and, and whatnot. And oftentimes this, this falls back to data and being able to measure uh, these, these, your efforts. Yeah, you know, I, I think that coming back to what Bill was saying and also the topic we have today, people tend sometimes to think about digital transformation, data, analytics and machine learning as what technologies we can apply to specific technical business problems. But frankly, if you take a step back, it's across all industries, all functions, all types of outcomes that we're looking to achieve. And if we can do a good job of not only tapping into the data, but analyzing it, coming up with insights, presenting options, and then measuring results, whether it's employee engagement, as much as how do I make a process more efficient? How do I go from a, let's say, a more wasteful type of process, whether it's energy generation and transmission, or whether it's um, whether you're building um, telecom equipment or you're building enterprise software, the fact is there's continuous learning to be done, but I believe it's this idea that we need to be thinking in terms of outcomes and measurements, and all of us could do better. The four areas that Bill mentioned, I think there's been a lot of progress in the few, last few years, but there's a lot more to go. Uh, you know, just to be transparent, we need, we could do with more diversity in our, in the, especially in the tech field. And I do think that those kind of things are something we shouldn't just launch a program and say, done, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy and I'm going to go about doing things the way I've been doing. I think it's hugely important for us um, as a members of the business community to be able to analyze and then also look at results and then make the changes that we need in order to continuously move the ball forward. Thank you very much. Really interesting around the table and I appreciate all of the examples you both gave. We have about four minutes left. I'm gonna squeeze in one little tiny topic. 
60 seconds for Bill, 60 seconds for Sir to, to react, respond, and then we're going to have to do some gratitude statements and some shout outs. So Bill says, this is a really interesting thing happening in the world right now with data. Everybody wants to become a data driven business, but few are deriving commensurate value from their data. I think this is where you wanted to go. Bill, 60 seconds, do whatever you want with it. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll just give you a couple of statistics. Uh, there's going to be a 300% increase in the, the amount, the amount of the volume of data that is captured between 2020 and 2025. So we already have so much in 2020, uh, yet only a recent study uh, showed that only 2% of the data produced in 2020 was actually utilized and analyzed in 2021 to make any changes to business results. Um, so, you know, the, the, the idea is that we're capturing a, a lot of data, but we're not um, operationalizing or turning it into valuable business insights or, or bottom line. So what can companies do? A couple of different things. You, can, you need to establish a, a chief data officer that is looking at data from uh, not just a capture perspective, but a usefulness perspective. The second is really leveraging data ops, uh, which is a fairly new uh, concept but uh, looking into data ops and, and creating that the same way that we did with DevOps five and six years ago. Uh, and finally, uh, data democratization, thinking about how data is actually uh, throughout the organization, the line of business professionals are also using the data, not just IT. I see part two in our future coming up. Surya, you get one full minute to respond, please. To me, you know, I was running the Agile business unit for a previous company, an enterprise software company I was um, working for. And at one point, at some point, I got the aha that being agile is not about processes or tools. It's about mindset first and then everything else. And I would say it's the same thing here. In order to be data driven and in order to be able to use and leverage the insights that data can provide, it has to be a culture and the culture of course, you need someone who's setting the stage for what needs to happen and providing the tools. But if the culture is always from the bottom up, is where people realize that they're benefiting themselves and their teams and their customers or their other stakeholders. And that's what drives change. And that's, I believe, the most important um, aspect of it. People, data, people, data, people, data, culture, mindset, commitment, mission, transparency, happiness. Did I cover it all? <laughs> I want to thank both of you so much. I, I always enjoy launching a new series and the two of you exceeded my expectations for a very lively, passionate, engaged and engaging conversation about driving business growth, digital transformation. Obviously, there are so many tentacles, if I could use that picturesque word, to this topic. We, we could talk for hours and hours and hours. Bill Cargan, a real privilege to meet you and thank you. I hope you'll come back or at least drive the series, help the, help the team behind the scenes. I have one minute. Surya Panditi, it has been, I'll say a delight. Your, your smile, your energy, wonderful, but you have so much good information to share. You came up with so many great examples and I really appreciate that. We have a shout out as well to Janelle Along Diakabana. I hope I pronounced your name right, uh, who's behind the scenes. She's here with us today. Stephanie Grubbs, thank you so much. Great communicator. Hannah Cho, I hope you're safely in your car somewhere where you needed to go. Thank you for joining us. And a shout out to Gabe, my engineer at Voice America Radio Business Channel. I think it's time for us to go. One sentence of wishful and hopefulness for what the audience took away today. Bill, one sentence. Go fast. Beat, beat. 
Sure. I, I hope they took away that the fact that uh, it's not insurmountable. Everybody can do digital transformation. Great. So, yeah. I believe that every industry and every organization and function can benefit from digital transformation. I hope they got that. Thank you. Don't go away, gentlemen. We will talk afterwards. We'll do a debrief. Bonnie D signing off. Thank you for listening, for watching. If you saw us, the Savvy Innovators BMC will be back with a lot more coming up through the end of 2022. And I'm hoping we'll do it in 2023 as well. Wave goodbye, Bill and Surya. Thank you for listening to The Savvy Innovators, presented by BMC Software. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You may start small, but start today. Where will your innovation journey begin? Reach out to BMC Innovation Labs at www.bmc.com to chart your digital transformation course.